0: This is the Bartholomew Town
1: Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome into another edition of Rhode Island's Podcast of Record, B-Town. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you, and today's guest is someone that I know a lot of you out there have wanted to hear from here on the show or in general, and that is the Commissioner of Education here in Rhode Island, and Helica Infante Green. So clearly a lot to get to with back to school now, you know, kind of a, what is it, like a couple of weeks underway, depending on your district. And we intentionally scheduled this for this week so as to not sort of get into speculation about what back to school would be like, but to actually have a little bit of, you know, even if it was just a week or two of traction to kind of gauge how things are going. So we talk about that, obviously COVID and a number of other things of interest here in this current moment and in general on today's show. As always, thanks so much for joining in. If you'd like to support the independent journalism, entertainment, opinion, and analysis that B-Town has become known for, you may do so by becoming an insider. Visit patreon.com slash bartholomewtown, where for as little as $3 per month, you may help to sustain this program. Also, give me a follow on Twitter at Bill Bartholomew for daily breaking news content, analysis, and much more. Twitter at Bill Bartholomew. So let's face it. I mean, there were a lot of things that took place during the pandemic that were extremely sad, extremely um, brutal, no doubt about it. And then there were things that were, you know, just disappointing and inconvenient. And I think one of those things that that falls into that second category is live events, live music, so on and so forth. Well, with a number of COVID protocols in place, I'm excited to announce that B-Town's live events are returning with the first one being October 1st, right here at the Loft in Elmwood. Now, this will be an event where proof of full vaccination is required. So, total vaccination mandate here at the Loft for these B-Town events, as well as all other COVID-19 protocol. But October 1st, I'll be performing along with the wonderful band, Laco, and some other special guests. As always, at these B-Town events, we'll have live performances, as well as great community conversation before, in between, and after the performances. It's October 1st, Friday night, October 1st, here at The Loft in Providence, 669 Elmwood Avenue. Doors open at 7 p.m. No advance tickets required. We got plenty of space in here. Again, full COVID protocol, and you must be fully vaccinated to attend. Friday, October 1st, you can message me, bill at ripodcast.com, with any questions. If not... We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Okay, with that, let's get to it. Rhode Island's Commissioner of Education and Helica Infante Green here on Rhode Island's podcast of record, B Town. All right, Commissioner, thanks so much for your time. I guess, first of all, the generic question, we're a couple of weeks into back to school, depending on which district. It's been a little longer than that. How's it going so far? What are you hearing as far as from inside the classroom from administrators, teachers, parents, students? What's the word?
0: Well, what I'm hearing is that everybody's excited to be back, right? A little yeah. cautious, you know, um, but everybody's excited to be back. And as you know, we did this last year. We opened up schools. So a lot of it was routine uh, for some of the schools. Obviously, we're going to keep our procedures in place. Mitigation, mitigation, mitigation. The air, windows open, um, and this year that we didn't have last year were the shots. So we're in a good place. We're in a good place and we're going to continue testing um, as one of our mitigation. So we we have a lot of strategies that um, we've been using and new ones, which is the vaccine.
1: And of course, just today, the, the we're taping on a Monday, just today, Pfizer announcing that their vaccine in a small dose is safe for five to 11 year year olds. How much does that change the scope of this academic year from your perspective?
0: Oh, greatly, greatly. I think um, so, so far, obviously, you know, 12 and above have been able to get vaccinated. It changes how we operate um, now that the kids, the younger kids can get it, but that's going to take a little bit of time. You know, I think, Parents have to hear more about it and feel comfortable, but I think it, it just makes things a little easier. And I think the part that we forget is that there's a benefit for the entire community. It's not just for your individual child, but the entire community.
1: I've been amazed by the negative feedback on masking. In fact, I was on WPRO on Friday and just like the phone lines lit up with people who are about this lawsuit that somehow you can equate masking children to prison or torture. What's your like human reaction to hearing that, especially when comparing it to distance learning and everything that went on in the past 18 months? It seems uncomfortable to wear a mask. It is. I'm glad I'm not wearing one right now. and by myself in my space, but on the whole, what's your take on this negative feedback that's become so extreme uh, that it's resulted in this lawsuit?
0: So a couple of things. The first one is that our responsibility is to keep everybody safe. We know that masks work. So that's responsibility number one. Number two, none of us want to have to wear, wear masks. But however, Kids are resilient. They did it last year and it wasn't this big controversial thing last year. And, you know, right now COVID looks like it's going to be with us for a while. So we have to continue to put politics aside and make sure that we have the safety of all the kids in mind so that we can go to school in person. We know that the mental health of the students is really important. We heard it from the kids themselves. They want to be with their friends. They want to be in a school environment. We know that that's the best way to do this. So, you know, do we want to have to wear masks? No. But does it keep our kids safe? Yes.
1: To that point, there's some superintendents and some even some teachers I've I've had a chance to talk to have said, look, there's no real distance learning plan in place as far as on on a localized basis or even on a statewide basis? Number one, is it your understanding that if there were no masks in schools, let's say kids weren't wearing masks, that that would likely result in the situation where we'd have to go to distance learning, and so masking kind of prevents that? And then number two, do you feel that there's a need to at least kind of develop distance learning plans, even with masking, even with vaccinations, in case there's a need to shut down the schools again once we hit peak, I guess you'd say, respiratory illness season?
0: Well, we're hoping we never get there, right? That's not, that's why we have all the different mitigations in place. Um, The president was very clear with us. We're going back to school in person and we have already been saying that since last year. I think what was different from last year is that we didn't know as much as we know today. Right, I think um, we, we had to figure out quarantining. We had to figure out all those things last year. Um, this year, it's about having kids in person. We also know how hard it was for families, for kids. Kids that were honor students were telling us how difficult it was for them. This is not something that we want. And masks are not about not providing distance learning. Masks about, is about keeping kids safe and healthy. And that's what that's about. Um, we need to get our kids back in, and I have to tell you, if you've been out, people are still doing the things that they need to do. We're not where we were last year. We're in a different place.
1: There's I, oh pardon me.
0: Well, no, I just want to say that you know, um, there's noise, there's noise nationwide, but what I am excited about is this Saturday we had water fire, right? and You know, we did it. We kept everybody safe. We had mitigation. We had, you know, masks. We were distant. We were in a different location. It was much smaller. But the excitement of the teachers, everybody there about being back, being with their kids, being able to do what they love to do, that's really where we need to focus a lot of our energy. There's always going to be somebody who's going to be disappointed. But I have to tell you, It's about our kids. We are in a place where we have to rally together for the kids. You know, our scores are going to be coming out soon and we're going to see what kind of an impact there was on our kids. Um, So I think we need to focus on making sure that we keep the kids in school safely.
1: What's the thing you're most interested in or concerned about with that with RICAS numbers and also with graduation rates, is there one specific thing? Cause you have to assume that look, distance learning is gonna lead to and all the chaos is gonna lead to some reduction in learning and results. But is there one stat, one thing that that the the layperson should look to that you're kind of focused on when those scores come out?
0: Well, I think, you know, we've been preparing for this. We had a committee, the LEAP committee, that really looked at learning equity acceleration plans to figure out what are we going to do, because we know. Right, I think nationwide, worldwide, we're going to see a gap. We we know that. What we saw in our preliminary data was that the younger kids were really impacted in a very different way. So we're going to see it across grade levels. I I you know I spoke to one of the teachers. said she's a kindergarten teacher. A lot of the kids didn't go to kindergarten last year or pre-K last year. So you're seeing even gaps as they're coming in this year. So I we're going to be paying attention to that and to the parents. You're going to see in your child's score, what is it that your child needs? And that's what we're looking at, the RICAS scores. What does that individual child need? What do we need to do moving forward? And we look at the LEAP report and we look at the recommendations and see if they're in alignment with that. And then what has to happen at the district level? Because this really is about meeting the kids where they are and accelerating them. We have to make up for that lost time
1: you sense that this will really come to fruition a few years down the line if there's a pattern of I guess developmental or whether it be in terms of academics or in terms of just social development that there's a late a latency to full development let's say kids in third grade they get to sixth or seventh grade they're missing mechanics is that your number one concern right now rather than like hey our numbers were low this year
0: yeah, no, absolutely. We know educators, teachers know, right? Teachers know and parents should know this and everybody should know this. You know, one year gap can have ripple effects for years, right? So that that one year, that kindergarten year, that first grade year, you may see it, like you said, in the fifth, sixth grade. You know, I think the only thing that is um, less worrisome is that we're all in this together, right? Everybody's experienced the same kind of break in other places, probably steeper than, and and hopefully ours. Um, But it's really about rallying behind the kids, making this about our kids, moving the agenda forward. And what do we need? Well, one of the things that we were very clear on is that everybody has to have a social emotional piece on their plan because we saw Rhode Island is a state that already had a lot of needs on the emotional health of students. And this has doubled the needs and the supports that we need in the school. And we have been going after money, federal money. We've just awarded $9 million for project aware so that we can continue to do that social emotional work.
1: Give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at bill Bartholomew coming up Wednesday at 7 PM on Rhode Island, PBS. It's my one-on-one interview from the State House with Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee. Don't miss it. It'll also be streaming at ripbs.org. And of course, I'll post the on demand link all over social media. My one on one conversation from the State House with Governor Dan McKee on Rhode Island PBS Weekly. In terms of interscholastic sports and I guess other activities as well, there's a little bit of confusion, or really it's not confusion, I guess, just a discrepancy that exists. One, side of this is the RIIL, the Rhode Island Interscholastic League, where masking is required and there's certain protocol. But then some of those same kids end up playing indoor soccer at private facilities, which don't have the same standards for protocol, whether it be masking or testing, whatever it may be. That's outside of your purview, but you still have the bully pulpit. What's your message to those facilities that a lot of school-aged kids participate in extra scholastic Activities at um, how can they be better contributors to getting over COVID as a community? Is there something that they can do uh, immediately to try to just get on the same page as the schools?
0: Well, I think they have to follow the same same regulations. I mean, the same mandates that we have, or precautions or procedures that we have, because they're all meant. You know, I, I talked about this a few minutes before. This is about us as a community, and you're 100% correct. Where we had the most difficulty and all the states are having the most difficulty is in the sports area, right? Because, you know, the kids do play other districts or sometimes out of state. So we are expecting that everybody's following the precautions and the procedures to keep all our kids safe. Because this is not just about that one kid or that one team. This is about all of us together together moving to the next level where we have that herd immunity, where we are all in a better place. And as a state, Rhode Island is in a better place. We are the second highest in vaccinations in the nation. So we want to make sure that whoever is working with our kids, that we are applying the same procedures and protocols throughout the state, regardless of the setting.
1: Yeah. It seems like the arts are doing a better job than sports where most venues require vaccination or if you're in some kid in high schools in a band and they play at a venue, they're probably in a pretty safe place because there's either proof of vaccine or minimum testing. So it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for everybody to get on board with this. Um, this ILO group story has become, you know, it, speaking with Dan McGowan last week on the, on the podcast, you know, it, it, sort of the consensus big picture is that this isn't that controversial As it's being made out to be Um, at the same time, it is a a new story right now. And a lot of people are, you know, there's a notion out there that somehow McKee insiders were handed five million dollars to kind of do whatever they want with. Can you explain what exactly it is that the ILO group does and and why this is or is not a controversial situation?
0: Well, in my mind, it's not controversial. This is an RFP that was put out by the state. Obviously, it was not put out by my office. But last year, when we opened up, we worked with other vendors as well. You know, I think there was DMG, there was McKinsey. There were different vendors that helped us open up schools. So it's not really a big story, I think that they support ride and ride. they have us working together. Like we have to work hand in hand and doing all this work, Um, getting everybody hundred percent in person, right? That's what we're doing. That's what everybody's working towards. There's no real story. um, At least as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Like I said, we didn't, you know, we didn't put out the, the RFP, but we value the partnership and the work. This is a lot of work and we want to make sure that everybody's ready that we are doing everything possible. We're focused on our kids and that's all we can do. And I think I've, people have heard me say this before. I will work with anyone that puts our kids first.
1: So it's safe to say that Ride on your own wouldn't be able to manage the the project as a whole of, of opening school safely. Consultants are required and that the, the consultant selected was the best consultant that you could partner with to get this done? Is that, is that kind of what you're saying?
0: So, so let me be clear, right. Could do it and, um, but it is a lot easier to have a partner. Right. It is, you know, it's a lot of hours, and a lot of manpower and a lot of work. So we value the partnership. There's there's nothing wrong with having more people helping us be successful. Added capacity. You know, we're a state agency. <laughs> we need added capacity. Could we do it? Absolutely. Would we you know, would it move as fast? Probably not, but other things will suffer, right? Because we have to put other things, uh, table other things. So, you know, it's like what we did last year. We worked with other vendors. We're continuing the work. I'm not sure where all the conversations are coming from, but we value the partnership.
1: Last question, Providence Schools, obviously new union contract negotiated by now Chief of Staff Alfonso over the summer. Um, something that you were not in the room for towards the end. Are you comfortable with where this sits right now? And what's your relationship like with the union on a on a communication level, a personal level? I mean, it's you, you have to say you're going and playing mini golf and getting ice cream every night with the union, but is it a working relationship that's improved from where it was when we saw a year ago, they're calling their own press conferences simultaneously with yours, and... Um, there seemed to be a lot of friction. Is that improved? And are things so, looking up?
0: So let me clarify a couple of things. Anthony Alfonso came in and he is bright. So, so what happened was I wasn't in the room, but nothing got done without my approval. And the reason that I wasn't in the room wasn't so much because I, I had gone to the union and they know this for a fact before um, McKee, came in that I wasn't going to keep coming back. It was 400 hours of my time and we weren't making the progress that we needed to make. My team was still in the room. All of my team was still there. Who wasn't there was the superintendent and I because it was just, it, you know, we're running a state and a district and it just, it, it it spins up. In terms of relationship, so here's, you know, I work with anyone that wants to do the job. You know, I, I, and it's work for me. I don't do personal. I don't do, you know, I'm very careful. I don't do those things because I respect people. And I think to some degree, some of it got very personal and um, it's not something that I do. I, I try to maintain my relationships at a professional level. So we will continue to work as long as everybody maintains a very professional manner.
1: Still love Rhode Island. Still happy. Has anyone stolen your tires again for the third time?
0: (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) Twice is enough. Um, But yeah, I love Rhode Island. I think it's been awesome. I have to tell you, the joy I felt on Saturday was just infectious. And it wasn't just um, about Waterfire. We also had our XQ event, meaning reimagining high schools. And everybody came along and gave us feedback and ideas and the momentum we're a state on the move. Like we are doing some amazing things. And what the teachers are doing in the classroom um, is Herculean in terms of their efforts and the work and, um, and the dedication. So yes, I am a proud Rhode Islander.
1: Commissioner, thanks so much for your time as always and see you out there.
0: Thank you. Rhode Island's podcast of record, b Town.